anyways, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2 today, if you have your Bibles or if you want to open up your Bible app. And we're just going to start reading right from the beginning and try to go through it. I'm going to speak quickly because there's a lot here. Like Paul had said, there's a lot to uh, unfold. There's a lot to look at. I, um, By the grace of God, uh, I think I highlighted what the Holy Spirit wants to speak this morning on our behalf, and that's what we're going to look at. So Ephesians 2, chapter, or chapter 2, verse 1. And you, speaking to us, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you were once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once... Um, I better put these on. Once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. Notice it says, we all. So, right, none of us were good. None of us were upright. Prior to, prior to uh, Jesus Christ coming into our lives, none of us were righteous, for we all have sinned, right, and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. So all of us were in the same boat. We were all born dead in our trespasses and sins. So when you were born, you were born spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins with the Adamic nature, the nature of Adam. And we know that the wages of sin is death. So the payment for sin, what you earn by sinning, is death. That physical death as well as spiritual death, eternal separation from God comes through sin. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can't forget the second part of that sentence. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's what the apostle is talking about, that you have been made alive in Christ. Verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. But God, Everyone's salvation experience starts with the words, but God, right? We were all sinners. We were all on our way to hell. We were all committing acts of sin, but God intervened in our lives. But God showed up one day and said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. But God, think of it, Joseph in prison, but God delivered him from that prison. Moses, on the backside of a desert for 40 years, taking care of his father-in-law's sheep, but God intervened in a burning bush. David, fleeing for his life from King Saul, but God intervened in his life. The apostle Paul, who was known as Saul, was, um, was terrorizing the church of Jesus Christ going from town to town on his way to Damascus to imprison people, to beat people, and possibly kill them. But God intervened in his life. Everyone's story starts with a but God. You know, I've had uh, friends that I've met over the course of the years, and, 
and before God and before Christ, just like all of us, you know, some seem worse than others, but all of us were dead in our trespasses and sin. Some were more uh, dead or more decaying than others, but we were all dead in our trespasses and sin. One of my favorite stories, it was a man who I knew he's passed on and with the Lord now, he was in a motorcycle gang. Uh, he had tattoos up and down. He was homeless. He was a heroin addict. And he decided that he had had enough, enough of being homeless, a heroin addict. And I, so he and a couple of friends, uh, this is an amazing story, um, decided they were going to go get some heroin. And so two of his friends are sitting up in the front seat of the car. He's sitting in the back seat of the car. And they're driving to go get heroin. And my friend decided he's going to commit suicide on purpose. He's going to take an overdose. He's going to kill himself. He's done. He's finished. And on the way to get heroin, they stopped and picked up a hitchhiker. I, that guy must have been an amazing guy to get in the car with three gangster heroin addicts. But he gets in the car, he sits next to my friend Dave, and he begins to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and the love of Jesus Christ uh, with Dave. And Dave, instead of committing suicide that day, gave his life to Christ. But God. Another friend um, who was a drug dealer here in Detroit, uh, especially in the Mexican village area, um, was a very big drug dealer here in this area. And he had a girlfriend, uh, they got into a fight and because of another lady. And so his girlfriend at that time approached the other lady with a gun and the other lady was in the car and she shot up the car while the lady was in, in the car. Well, she went to jail for aggravated assault, and while in jail, she was pregnant. <laughs> and she had a baby, in which my friend, the drug dealer, took care of while she was in jail and served her term, and eventually they both got saved while she was in jail and while he was taking care of the baby. The realization that he had to take care of this baby and this baby had an eternal soul, um, he began, the Lord drew him through that, and he got saved. Both of them got saved, and when she got out, they got married, and you have met the baby. She's been here before, uh, Angeline, that has come here before, uh, with um, Nate, Nate and Angeline, Angelique. She was the baby. She was the baby that was born, and her parents are serving the Lord to this day. But God, our story starts with an intervention when God intervenes in the life of a person who is dead in their trespasses and sins. And oftentimes that intervention comes through other people, through Christians introducing them to Jesus, right? Christians introducing that person to Jesus, people who are in despair, who are desperate, who are hurting, who have had enough. That's it. I'm done. I'm finished. We have been made alive in Christ. We have the life of Christ in us, and we can offer life to dead situations. And it goes on to say in verse, verse 6 that he has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ. Why? Because we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were receiving the wages of our sin, death, spiritual death. That's what we deserved. 
But God demonstrated his love towards us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, not of, your, not of yourselves, it is the gift. See, the wages were something that we earned. The gift is something that we got unexpectedly from God. Salvation, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this is kind of a... I think maybe a very not good translation of this word workmanship, it means we are God's masterpiece. We are God's artistic masterpiece. We are uh, his overwhelming and, and beloved masterpiece that he has created. He is the potter and we are the clay and he is making us into a vessel of honor for his household. He's making us. He's working on us and we are his masterpiece. And workmanship sounds something like uh, a hammer and uh, uh, an anvil, which <laughs> it does speak of that as well. If you need a hand, uh, an anvil, if you need to be put into the fire to uh, be heated up a little bit and God to pound on a little bit to get you in order, then God will do that. But we are his masterpiece. And he is the potter and we are the clay. We are the work of his hand, scripture tells us. You know, oftentimes, um, many times in my life and maybe in yours, I grew up just thinking for the most part that I was like um, a second-class citizen, that I didn't measure up, that I wasn't any good. Most oftentimes because most of the things that I was told by others, right, you know, you're just a troublemaker and that and so forth. And, and many of us can go through life carrying around that baggage with us. But once we meet the Lord and we found out that we are accepted in the beloved and that we are in Christ and he is in us, uh, Christ in you, the hope of glory there are no second-class citizens in Christ. There are no second-class citizens in Christ because of what he has done, and that's what we're going to look at right now. For the unsaved, it says that we are spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins, but for the saved, we are made alive in Christ, and we are seated in Christ in the heavenly places. We, now, we're going to get to that, that, this amazing scripture, that we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. For the unsaved, the unsaved walks according to the, the will and the ways of the world, right? They're being conformed to this world. But for the saved, we are filled with the Spirit, and we are told to walk in the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, Right? We don't walk according to the ways of the world. We're being transformed. Not, we're, not, we're not being conformed to the world. We're being transformed. We're told to walk in the Spirit. The unsaved is under the influence of Satan. There is a mind to this world, and there is a spiritual power behind it, and that is Satan. And the unsaved is under the influence of Satan, while we, who are born again by the Spirit are under the influence of the Spirit. We are to walk according to the Spirit. Colossians 1.13 says that he has delivered us from the power of darkness, which we once were when we were unsaved, or, and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son of love. Colossians 1.13. So we've been translated. We've been saved to something. We've been made alive to something. 
right? We've been made alive, and now we are a part of the kingdom. The unsaved is controlled by the lust of the flesh and the lust of the mind. But we are compelled and constrained by the love of God. The unsaved are children of disobedience, children of wrath, but we are sons of the Most High. We are sons of God. We are sons of God because Christ is in us. Romans 8:14 for as many are led by the spirit of God these are the sons of God you are a son and a daughter of God you have been made alive in Christ we have to not only just understand this as some kind of like uh, technical doctrine we have to understand it yes but we have to believe it and believing enters into action believing leads to action so any of those times i have those thoughts of being no good or not being good enough or failing and falling i go to the scriptures what does the scripture say the scripture says that i am a child of god that i belong to god that i belong to the household of the family of god and he has bestowed upon us riches riches what kind of riches? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Romans 8:15 through 17. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adop adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. Children of God. And we are heirs of God. Our inheritance is God. We are heirs of God. Ephesians 2, back to verse 11. Therefore, remember that one, you Gentiles, now he makes a distinction between the Gentiles and um, the Jews. Gentiles were considered uh, obviously unsaved to the Jew, uh, but also even kind of unworthy of any kind of interaction <laughs> with God, right? Uh, the first Christians were Jews, right? The first Christians were Jews, and that's the way it was for 10 years at least 10 years until we get to Acts chapter 10, Cornelius' house, where these lowly Gentiles get filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Peter is like amazed uh, that God would do that. So that's how, how much the Jew thought of the Gentile, that there was even a plan of salvation for the Gentile, that God cared about the Gentile. They were shocked, and that's why it took 10 years <laughs> Uh, and, and it took a revelation of Jesus Christ for Peter to even go to a Gentile's house to share the gospel. He had to receive a personal invitation, a personal revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ to even go. And he went and shared the gospel, and they were filled with the Spirit. And so he's making a distinction here between the Jew and the Gentile, the Gentiles being those that were unsaved. For you do not... Re uh, where am I? Verse 11, therefore, remember that you were once Gentiles in the flesh who are called the uncircumcision. That's a put down by those 
who were called the circumcision, made, by, made in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God and the world, and so it is with the unsaved person. The unsaved person is cut off from the commonwealth of Israel. They are strangers. They are foreigners to the covenants and the promises of God. They have no hope without God in the world. But now, again, that word, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You were cut off. You were strangers. You were foreigners. You were aliens. It's strange from the covenants and the promises of God. But for the believer... The covenants and the promises of God are yes and amen. For the believer, those that have put their their faith in Christ, those that have been born again by the Spirit of God, the promises are yes and amen. We have been bought by the blood of the Lamb, just like we celebrated communion today, and we belong to him. Our identity is not what people say about us. Our identity is not what we think about ourselves. Our identity is what Christ has declared in his word. That is what matters. That is what is important. We belong to the household of faith. We belong to the homestead of God. We are his children. Our names are written in heaven. The book of Revelation tells us that there is a book called the book of the Lamb, And those that are born again, their name is written in that book. Your name is known in heaven. You are not a second-class citizen. You are not discarded. You are cared for and loved by God. Psalm 56, 8 says, You number my wanderings, speaking the person speaking to the Lord. You put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? Speaking that he knows our tears, he knows our struggles, he knows our heartache, he knows our failings, and he has bottled them. And then we get to Revelation, there shall be no more tears. There shall be no more tears. That's how much he cares for you. Scripture even tells us that he knows the number of hairs on our head. Even the number of, hair, the number of hairs that are left behind in our hairbrush. He knows them all. He cares for you and for me. Being redeemed by the blood, being born again by the Spirit of God, we have a sure foundation of hope, a sure foundation of hope, an anchor within the veil of God, within the veil of the Holy of Holies. You are in Christ. Christ is in you, and it is called the hope of glory. Can we believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe that Christ cares for you intimately? He knows your name. He knows your troubles. He knows your tears. He knows your heartache. He knows it all, and he loves you. We have been made alive in Christ. We were spiritually dead in our trespasses and sin, but we have been made alive in Christ when you were born again by the Holy Spirit. The scripture tells us, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Your past is gone. You are a new creation in Christ. And as uh, Paul had mentioned about baptism, you know, that is a, a, a symbol of us burying the old man, the old nature, identifying with Christ. Romans 6 said that, that we were even crucified with Christ. Romans chapter 6. And we're being raised to newness of life in Christ. The old has passed away. The old has been buried. The old is gone. It's passed. It's done with. And we are now a new creation in Christ, born by the Spirit. Jesus said, truly, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You must be born again. Peter tells us, having been born again, how are we born again? Not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible being born again by the Spirit of Christ. That Spirit of Christ comes in us, and it, it um, generates. I, I don't want to say regenerates because it sounds like it was dead. But it was dead. Well, it regenerates. That's a good word. Regenerates our spirit, and we become a new creation because we are in union with Christ. For in as Adam all die, Scripture tells us in Christ all will be made alive. And this life that we are now given, it's not just a life to survive until we uh, get to heaven. It's, it's not just a life that we're looking, whatever, 10, 20, 30 years from now, depending on how old you are, that one day we'll make it to heaven. No, it's a life for here, a life for here and now. Jesus said that he came that we might have life, John 10, 10, and have life more abundantly. That that God life, the Zoe life, the God life, the God implanted life within us is for the here and now. The everlasting life starts the day that you are born again. You are born again to everlasting glory, but that glory begins now as God begins to work in our lives. We know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. Everlasting life with him. Um, there's uh, St. Arrhenius, who was a follower of uh, Polycarp, who was a follower of John, said, the glory, I love this statement, and I use it all the time, the glory of God is man fully alive. The glory of God is man fully alive. Paul puts it this way, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. That when people see us, they would see Christ. That we would walk and do and say what Christ would walk and do and say. He has handed over the kingdom to us. He has handed over the kingdom to us. See, the battle is won. The battle is over in, in many ways between, not even that it was a battle, but everything has been paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. Right? The victory has been won. And then he hands it over to us to work it out. Not by his grace, obviously, by his goodness, his grace, his mercy. We're not on our own by the Spirit. As the old hymn says, um, uh, a mighty fortress is our God. 
the gifts and the spirit are ours, right? The gift and the spirit are ours to work it out, to live it out, to advance the kingdom of God upon this earth. He's given that to us, to advance the kingdom of God. And for us to do that, it must be that the glory of God is man fully alive. For me to live is Christ, to do the things of Christ, the works of Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He has given us all things, all things, Peter tells us, to godliness, to live godly in this world. What things, what are the true riches of the kingdom of heaven? Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, rich in mercy for the great love wherewith he has loved us. Can it be any more clear that God loves you? God loves you. God loves you. God loves you, and he has blessed you with the riches of his mercy. He is rich in mercy because of his great love for you. And I believe that, I believe personally, if there was only ever one sinner that sinned, Christ would die for you. You personally. Why do I believe that? Because he did die for you personally. He took upon himself your sin, my sin, and paid the penalty, the wages of sin, his death. And he paid it for you and he paid it for me. Praise the Lord. What kind of riches are we talking about? Well, Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption, which we already heard today, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. So we have riches of mercy. Well, we don't receive the things that we deserve. That's mercy. We don't receive eternal punishment that we deserve, the wages for our sin. And then we also have the riches of his grace, where he pours upon us lavishly the things the good things that we don't deserve. He blesses us and blesses us with his life. Picking up in Ephesians 2, 6 and 7, kind of going back and forth here. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. The exceeding riches of his grace. It's lavish. The Apostle Paul is not over-exaggerating. He's not using hyperbole. He is speaking the truth. These are exceeding riches of his grace, beyond measure, beyond measure, wave upon wave upon wave of mercy and grace have been put to our account. Day by day, his throne is the throne of mercy. He is the father of mercies, and his mercies are new. Morning by morning, his mercy endures forever. And we are to approach the throne of grace and mercy where we may attain, uh, where we may obtain help in the time of trouble. We know we can go to the Lord and find mercy and grace. Ephesians 1, 18, backing up a little bit. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, 
that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Again, the riches of his glory. The Apostle Paul wants us to know something here. He wants us to know who we are in Christ, where we are in Christ, what we have in Christ. He begins in uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians telling us about these wonderful things that have been put to our account in Jesus Christ. The possessions, the gifts, all the spiritual blessings are in Christ, are in yes and amen. And then he begins to tell us in chapter 2 that our identity in Christ. You were once this, without hope, cut off from the love of God. Now you are saved, you are redeemed, you belong to me. I am yours and you are mine. And my banner over you is love. Ephesians 3.16 puts it this way, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. These unsearchable, and 3.8 talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. That doesn't mean you can't discover them or you can't find them. It means they're so vast so wide, so vast, you cannot discover all of them because they're so unsearchable. His resources are beyond measure. His love is beyond measure. His mercy is beyond measure. His grace and his glory is beyond measure. It's so unsearchable, you'll never find the end of it. So Ephesians 1 primarily deals with possessions. Ephesians 2 begins to move into our position our position in christ now get this going back to ephesians 2 6 and 7 this is so important he has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in christ that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in christ he has raised us up together in Christ. He has made us sit with Christ in the heavenly places. Where is Christ seated? In the heavenly places. Where are you seated? With him in the heavenly places. Oftentimes we go around, well let's read Ephesians 1.19 again. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Again, the Apostle Paul is not overselling it. He's, he's, he's not using hyperbole. He is telling the truth. He's, the Spirit speaking through them. This is exceeding the great, mighty, working power of Christ in you, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and he seated him at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, far above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Where is Christ seated? In heavenly places. Where in the heavenly places? Far above all principalities. Where? God's right hand. What is he sitting on? The throne. Jesus Christ is seated upon the throne of God. 
We know that clearly from the scriptures. He is seated at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. Where are you? In him, in Christ. Where are you seated in the heavenlies? I know, this almost seems sacrilegious. I know it. You're afraid to say it. The Bible says it. You are seated with him in the heavenlies. He made us sit there. He, he said, no, 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 no. You don't belong back there. Sit here. You're in Christ. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. You are seated next to me in the heavenly places in Christ. We are seated at the right hand of Father in Christ. <laughs> Do you see why the Apostle Paul wants us, our understanding to be opened? He wants us to receive revelation. He wants us to receive insight. See, most of us walk around thinking, oh, the devil's after me, or the devil has his foot upon my neck. <laughs> no. You are seated in Christ at the right hand of the Father. Right now, if you were born again, you are seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father, far above all principalities and powers, and every name that is named. Can you believe it? No, do we deserve it? No. He made us. <laughs> he made us alive. He made us sit. He raised us up with Christ and made us sit in the heavenlies. I know it sounds too incredible to believe, and I know it sounds like heresy, but that's what the Bible says. That's where you are. Satan does not have his foot upon your neck. You have been raised up far above all principalities and powers and every name that is named. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. Can you believe it? And if you believe it, then you should live like it. We should live like it. Like I said, most of us go around thinking the devil's after us or he's got his foot upon our neck. The Bible tells us draw nigh to guy. Draw nigh to guy. Draw nigh to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist him steadfast in the faith and he will flee from you. And, and, and I get the and picture that as we resist him by quoting the scripture, right? Quoting the scripture, reminding him of who we are in Christ, that he flees like this. I don't want to hear it. Uh, you know, don't tell me that. He doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't want us to know what is revealed to us in the scripture. And he doesn't want to hear the scripture. Because he knows that it's his undoing. He will flee from you. He will flee. He will flee. James, the book of James, draw an eye unto God, submit to God, resist the devils, and he will flee from you, steadfast in the Lord. Again, we have to believe it, though. We have to understand it, yes. We have to believe it. And then we have to put it into practice. We have to put it into practice. And most oftentimes that practice is just simply stating it. Believing it, declaring it, it is so, it is done. We are seated with Christ. We've been raised up with Christ. We are seated with him, it is done. We are his ambassadors. He has to give us a seat of authority because we are his ambassadors. So we are in a seat of power we are in a seat of authority, 
sitting at the right hand of God, a seat of power, a seat of authority. You're not under anything. (laughs) You're above everything. You are above everything in Christ. He has given us power and authority to exact his will in this earth. See, just like uh, the first Iraq war, I don't know how many days it took for us to clobber um, the uh, Saddam Hussein, I'll say that. And, you know, and they declared the war's over. But there were still skirmishes going on. See, the head had been taken out. The head had been removed, and his power had been removed. The war is over. We're in control. But just like in that war, the soldiers had to continue to advance the kingdom throughout the land. The same it is with us. It's done. It's finished. It's complete. But we have to advance that kingdom. That's why in Ephesians chapter 6, it's not God and Satan that are battling. It's us going to war against principalities and powers, exacting the will of God in this place, in our lives, in our families, in our homes, in our business, exacting the will of God in your school. It is up to us to bring it under the power and the influence of God. Are you, are you with me? Are you getting it? This, this is so empowering if we just understand and believe what the word declares to be true. It is liberating. It is freedom. It is power. It is majestic. Just like Jesus called the disciples and he gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases, the same is for us today. The same is for us today. And he told us to go and preach the gospel. Told them to go preach the gospel. He tells us to go and preach the gospel. To do his will upon this earth. And he has given us the authority. See, he has given it to us. I didn't earn it. Just like I didn't earn my salvation. He has given it to us. He has made us alive in Christ. He has made us to sit in a position of authority. He has given us his authority. He has handed it over to us, his authority and his power, and he says, go, do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Exact the kingdom. Preach the kingdom. Preach and do the will of God. (laughs) Do we get it? It's in the Great Commission, right? He tells us to go into the world and to preach the gospel to every creature, and those who believe and are baptized shall be saved, and those who don't are condemned. And, And my name, he says... What, what that means is under my authority, under my power, which I have bestowed upon you, that I have commanded you to do, that I have written the orders. It is done. It is finished. Go do it. Under, in his name, we will cast out demons. In his name, we will speak with new tongues. In his name, we could take up serpents. I like the spiritual aspect of that, of dealing with you know, spiritual powers, not actually taking up serpents. And uh, but dealing with spiritual powers and dealing with uh, deadly things, it will by no means hurt us. Why? Because we have the authority. We have been commanded. We are under the jurisdiction of Jesus Christ. We're not under the jurisdiction of Satan. We are under the jurisdiction of Jesus. And if they lay hands on the sick, they will recover. Jesus commands us to do that. 
Mark 16, he commands us to go and preach the gospel in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. Where are you seated? Where? Where? God's right hand on the throne of God. I know, I know what you're thinking. Oh boy, I hope I don't get struck down <laughs> for saying it. That's what the scripture says. The scripture says, where are you seated? <laughs> At the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus. That's where you are seated. Far above all rules and uh, rulers and principalities and powers of this age. Let's continue on back to Ephesians verse 14 for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation middle wall of separation between him between us and others between the Jews and the Gentiles having abolished in his flesh the enmity the friction the problems the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. One new man, uh, again, Gentiles and Jews, from the two, making peace with God, making peace with one another, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and those who are near, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Peace with God. He's come. He is our peace. Jesus is our peace. And he gives us peace. Peace with God. Peace with others. Proverbs 16.7 16, 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Peace with God. Peace with our past. Peace with our present. Peace with the future. You know, Chris going in, having major surgery. She was at peace. She was at peace. Oftentimes, the devil brings up our past. That's done. It's buried. It's been put away. We can have peace with our past. We can have peace in the present, knowing that he is in control, and he lives, and he rules and reigns in the affairs of men. And peace with one another. One of the most... Well, a couple of most illustrations um, that I've seen about peace. Uh, one um, was, I believe it was Reader's Digest many, many years ago, probably 50 years ago. I don't even know, is there still Reader's Digest? They still print it? Uh, they had a competition uh, where asking artists to paint a picture of peace. And so many of them, you know, painted these peaceful scenes, um, you know, that we would think of you know, nature and that sort of thing, whatever, clouds floating in the sky. Um, but one artist painted a raging, raging waterfall, just, you know, like Niagara Falls. And then he painted a little bird on a limb, sleeping next to the, uh, the raging waterfall, and he won the contest. That is peace. That is peace. We can have the peace of God because we know God. God is in us. One, another illustration, true story, of two ladies um, that were in our former church for a while, uh, one has passed on and gone with the Lord, was, um, i got to get the story straight here, 
a husband and wife were married for like 17 years. Uh, they ended up getting divorced because the husband was having an affair with uh, another woman. And so he ended up leaving his household and went to live with the other woman. And, and then lo and, lo and behold, the other woman gets saved. And his first wife um, gets saved. And, or I'm sorry, not at that point. Then the husband leaves the other woman, goes back to his first wife. So now she's the other woman. Uh, but then he goes back to the other woman. <laughs> then the first wife gets saved. So both ladies get saved. They both attend church, the same church, and they sit right next to each other. <laughs> that is having peace. <laughs> that surpasses understanding in my book. Peace. Peace with each other, peace with God. How could they do that? I, I just, I stood in amazement knowing the story, knowing the backstory. It's like, Lord, only you can do that. Only you can do something like that. They're sitting there chatting like old friends while the one is still divorced and one's married to the other woman. And, and, but they're both saved, born again in Christ, and they have peace with one another. Amazing, amazing what God can do in the lives of people. 19, we're going to finish here. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers. You're not a stranger to God. He has your name written in his book. You are no longer foreigners, but you are fellow citizens. He brings it right back to where he started. You are fellow citizens with the saints. You are a saint of God. I know you don't feel like it. I don't feel like it at times, but... Scripture declares we are saints of God and we are members of the household of God. We are members of the household of God being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. You are the dwelling place of God. You are the dwelling place of God. Your life is hid in Christ. You belong to him. He is in you. You are in him. You are seated at the right hand of God in glory. You are seated in the right hand of God in Christ in glory on the throne of heaven. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have to believe it, people. We have to believe it. We have to understand it. We have to believe it. We have to walk in it. We have to act like it. Now, I'm not talking about being proud or arrogant, but I mean standing on the confidence of God's word, what he has said. He made us alive. He made us to sit in a position of power and authority. It wasn't something that we strived for. It wasn't probably something we even considered when we were born again. <laughs> Right before even knowing the scriptures or reading the scriptures. But he has done it. He has made it happen. And then he goes on to explain more and more what that means for us as the believer in the book of Ephesians.